You're listening to the Poema Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to see God in a real way. For more information about Poema Church, visit poemachurch.ca. Enjoy the message. How's it going? Y'all feeling a little better than when you walked in? I know I am. I am so honored to be on this stage this morning to share with you about the table, which we've been talking about. And as Pastor Rach and Matt have said, this is a way of life. And I just love that because it's revolutionized my life, being welcomed to a table. And no matter what state I came to the table in, being welcomed with open arms and spoken to and cared about, uh, it broke down all my walls and my concept of God. So I'm just so happy to talk to you about that today. You guys have had three awesome weeks of being uh, shared with about the connection that we find at the table and where we're at in our culture with the table, how a lot of people blow through life and they never actually get to connect or even sit down at a table with someone. And Pastor H talked about how important that was to Jesus. And he made eating at the table and meeting with people at the table his way of life and the way that he did ministry. And then last week, Pastor Josh shared with you, excuse me, all about how there are things that keep us from the table and how we can take account for that and choose to do other than that, which is awesome. So today, I want to talk with you about being at the table with family. So we're just going to start by praying, and then we're going to dive right into it. Jesus, we just thank you right now for this family that's sitting here together at a proverbial table. And God, I just thank you that you have prepared something for us, for each heart, to give the sustenance that each person needs right now. So Holy Spirit, we choose right now to pull our chairs up to your table and participate with what you're doing, what you're saying to us, and to take an honest look at where we are and who we're at the table with, God. We love you so much and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So I'm gonna read a quote for you guys to start. It's from an author named Shauna Nyquist. She wrote a book called Bread and Wine, A Love Letter to Life Around the Table. Um, And so this quote says, we don't come to the table to fight or to defend. We don't come to prove or to conquer, to draw lines in the sand or to stir up trouble. We come to the table because our hunger brings us there. We come with a need, with fragility and an admission to our humanity. The table is the great equalizer, the level playing field many of us have been looking everywhere for. The table is the place where the doing stops The trying stops, the masks are removed, and we allow ourselves to be nourished like children. We allow someone else to meet our need. In a world that prides itself on people having no needs, on going longer and faster, on going without, on powering through, the table is a place of safety and rest and humanity where we are allowed to be as fragile as we feel. And that's what I want to talk about today. And from my experience, if any of you have shared a dinner with me and my family, it is very messy and loud and complicated. (laughs) Pastor Laura's laughing because she was just experiencing that on Friday night. So um, I have found from my experience that when my family comes to the table, um, you come with your day. 
attached to you or you're weak or whatever it has happened since the last time you met together. And so the table ends up being, yes, a place you eat, but the food's on the floor, the food might be on the wall, on your face. Um, there's teaching that happens at the table because my kids, most of their um, best nature comes out at the table. Uh, it's just a place where you're real and you're raw. And so there's teaching that happens at the table and correction sometimes happens at the table and um, fight. So my kids are famous for fighting over who gets to sit next to me. Now, I have never asked for this and I actually would love to sit face to face with somebody. But when I am without my husband or friends at the table, it's a line. So Teo, myself, and Evie, and I stare at the wall, which is, oh, it just drives me crazy. Anyway, so um, it's funny because all of these things come out when we're around the table. And for that very reason, we really need the table because we really see who we are when we come to the table. There's a lot of pretending that happens in our lives at our workplace or out on the street, or even when we're having guests over for dinner. It's a, you, sometimes, not necessarily in my family's case, but sometimes it's a, a little bit more of an entertainment that happens when there's guests around the table. And you're really considering them rather than yourself and your needs at the table. So um, Hebrews 10, 25 says, this is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that, anticipate that day dawning. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us how necessary it is for us to meet together as the family of God, at, to encourage each other, to bounce our lives off of each other. And so what I've learned about tradition, now my family wasn't big on tradition. And so when I look back on my history as a family, um, there's nothing really stand out about our dinners or about even family traditions like Christmas. We were always changing everything. And um, what God did is he had his people in the Old Testament repetitively do things over and over and over again. So maybe daily, weekly, there were things that happened, festivals that happened all through the year. And what this did was actually formed their identity by repetitive traditions. And so our family dinners actually give us a grounding as to who we truly are. And there are elements too coming to the table as a family that help us remember who we are. So... In 1 John 4, 19 and 20, and you can look at that on the screens, it says, our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. Anyone can say, I love God, yet have hatred toward another believer. This makes him a phony, because if you don't love a brother or sister whom you can see, how can you truly love God whom you can't see? For he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also demonstrate love to others. Ooh. <laughs> and I just, this particular um, scripture really hits home for me. Um, some of you may know my story, but I grew up in a church-going family, but I never really learned to face myself and the things that were going on inside of my heart. And I kind of coasted through life and did a lot of church-related and religious things in my life 
all the while carrying a really big load of hatred towards um, undealt with things in my family, things that um, like set me off with relationships with other people who were in the family of God that I just kind of shoved down deeper and deeper and deeper and just kept going about my way, uh, being good, you know, church girl that did whatever she was supposed to. And a couple years ago, actually, I guess it's four now, I had a little girl and um, she was God's best gift to me because she brought um, just the right amount of pressure into my life that made me crack. And I I truly do see it as a gift because um, without her coming, I would not be where I am today. So I went through this place where I started to realize that I was toxic on the inside. And it was starting to eke out into my conversation with people and my thought life and my relationships and my family. And so it became a really dangerous thing. And I hit a point where I had to uh, decide to be honest about where I was at. And I realized how easy it is to go through, well, I'm 36 now, so I would have been 32, 32 years of thinking that I was completely okay and doing all the right things, uh, meanwhile being just a hot mess inside of my soul. And so this really, really hits home for me because when we come face to face with somebody that truly cares about us, we get the opportunity to have space to let it out in a safe spot. And I called up a couple of people when I came to that realization and I, I just needed to talk to them about everything that was been boiling and bubbling and brewing inside of me. And they were stable enough and mature enough as believers to be able to handle my mess. And so over the past four years, I've been working through what that mess actually is and facing it. So I just want to thank God right now because I'm more clean today on the inside than I was four years ago, which is a huge miracle for me. And great, um, David actually went through this. And this is a little poem he wrote from Psalm 32, 3 and 4. And he says, Before I confessed my sins, I kept it all inside. My dishonesty devastated my inner life, causing my life to be filled with frustration, irrepressible anguish and misery. The pain never let up, for your hand of conviction was heavy on my heart. My strength was sapped, my inner life dried up like a spiritual drought within my soul. Again, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. The, the, the Bible just says it's so good. People took a lot of time to ponder. They didn't have social media to distract them. So they took a long time to ponder what was really going on inside of them and what they were experiencing So that's from the mouth of David. I had the same experience, and I'm hoping some of you can relate to where I was at. So God knew that this would be a giant struggle for us, that forgiveness being like the foundation of our relationship with God was going to be something we needed a daily reminder of. And so we all know the Lord's Prayer, and you guys can throw up the slide, but I'm going to focus more on the, the few verses that Jesus said, give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those that sin against us. And there's a direct connection between the bread that we eat every day to live and the forgiveness that we need every day to live. And Jesus made that very pointed. And then at the end of that section in verse 14, he actually reminds us very potently that um, 
if we don't forgive our brothers and sisters, that God is actually unable to forgive us. So this is pretty important. It's like a daily reminder. And I've actually started praying the Lord's Prayer regularly and taking time to think and ask myself and my kids, is there somebody that I need to forgive today? What happened today? Where am I at today? And and who am I holding angst against in my heart? And so we find ourselves in this position often where we like are starting to drift away either in our hearts or physically, it gets to that point where maybe we're avoiding a certain person or a table or a connect group or a service. Maybe I come to the 11 instead of the nine because somebody's at one service and not at the other because I just can't help myself. I just have to keep my distance because there's something in the space between us. And so what the, the whole point of these family dinners that we're having is that we get to work these things out as a family. This is an opportunity for us to come face to face with people that otherwise we might avoid and never, ever look in their eyes because it's really easy to skirt in and out of here on a Sunday without actually connecting with somebody. So Paul, it's so funny, I've been reading in the uh, book of 1 Corinthians, and that church was, like, so messy. Like, it, it, like, makes you uncomfortable if you actually read it. Like, there's a guy sleeping with his stepmom, and everybody's, like, happy about it in the church. And they're, like, you know, proud about it. And Paul's like, what are you doing? Like, even pagans don't do that. What's wrong with you? And, and they're, like, starting to, to divide into, like, groups. So this guy's like, oh, Apollos, he baptized me. He's my leader. And this one's like, this person baptized me. He's my leader. And they're getting together for weekly meals. And what are, what's happening is, so there would be a great meeting each week with, there would be the rich people that would, you know, they would have substance and maybe it was being hosted at their house. And then there were people, like everyday people who work jobs that would have to work late and they would like rush to the dinner and all the rich people had eaten all the food and they were drunk already, which, you know, that enough being said there, they have no self-control. But like this is the status of their weekly meeting that they are so familiar and have so much contempt for each other that there's nothing left of the meal by the time the everyday person gets to the meal. And so on the heels of that, Paul starts talking about the tradition that Jesus passed on to us, which is communion. So I just want to read that for you. It's a a little bit of a chunk, but just imagine what that dinner would actually look like. So you could picture yourself at your Connect meal. You could picture yourself in history. So they might have been meeting out in like an open-air atrium, which would have been their biggest space. It could have been in the front of their house, like Pastor Rach was talking about, where they had a dining table that was open to the street. So this is kind of the setting. This is not like just a little bread piece and a cup, which is a symbol for us. It's really helpful for us to do that, but it was a bit more of a nitty-gritty meal for them. So this is what Paul said. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it's so centrally important. I received my instructions from the master himself, being Jesus, and passed them on to you. The master Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. And after supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This is my blood, the new covenant with you. 
each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact your words and actions to the death of the master. Sorry, your words and actions, the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like the part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives, test your heart, and come to this meal in holy awe. Yeah. So what Paul is trying to paint a picture of is this tradition that Jesus made it very important for his people to remember and be drawn back to again and again. And it's really a picture of an altar. So what I'm, I would love to drive home for you today is that the table is an altar. So when we come, how do we see the altar? What is the altar? How did God's people back in the Bible times see an altar? And I have a quote here from a, a Jewish scholar and his name is uh, Professor Peter Shirokov. And he states that all aspects of life are perceived by the Jews as spiritual occasions. And when it comes to the meals, the kitchen table and the altar were inseparable. Jews saw themselves and their meals as a living human sanctuary, that they were sacred. So what is an altar? An altar, by definition, is a place of slaughter the means of establishing peace between the people and their father in heaven. It was a way for them to connect back to God and to each other. It wipes away sin. It nourishes your inner person and it fosters love for God. It removes guilt. And if we think about our tables as being this kind of a place where we picture the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus as something that as we're eating this meal, taking it in and sharing it with other people, we're actually brought to a place of remembering what he did for us and what in turn we're doing for other people. And there's this little tiny snippet of a verse that really stood out to me and it says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I learned in studying this that the Jews actually ate their meal before the sun went down. And they actually considered that the start of the day of the new day was when the sun went down. So what God was actually intending us to understand was that every day, every mealtime, we should consider our hearts and where we stand between God and other people. And so we don't ever want to let the new day begin with the old day's mess, which was profound to me because I took that like somebody you know, preach that at me when I got married. Don't go to bed angry, which is true, but it's a little bit deeper than that. It really is because it's not just with your spouse or with your kids. It's with the entire family and all those that don't know God. And so we practice it at our own table. We give it out to people we bring to our table and we share it with the whole world. It's really incredible. So, if we're looking at our tables as a table set before God, I just would love if you guys could close your eyes for a second. I'm going to read to you from Isaiah 53. If you don't want to, it's okay. 
um, it's just a picture of Jesus and who he was as prophesied in the Old Testament. It says, we viewed him as the one who is being punished for something he himself had done, as one who was struck down by God and brought low. But it was because of our rebellious, willful revolt, our conscious choices, our deeds that he was pierced. And because of our sins, the sum of our crimes and consequences that he was crushed. He endured the punishment that made us completely whole. And in his wounding, we found our healing. Like, like wayward sheep, we have all wandered astray. Each of us has turned from God's path and chosen our own way. Even so, Yahweh, God, laid the guilt of our every sin upon him. He was oppressed and harshly mistreated. Still, he humbly submitted, refusing to defend himself. He was brought like a gentle lamb to be slaughtered, like a silent sheep before his shearers. He didn't even open his mouth. And this is the picture of what's happening at our tables. So when I come to a table, looking at what's hidden in my heart or what's out in the open, and I refuse to forgive somebody else based on what Jesus has done, I actually begin the process of dehumanizing that person. My body needs food to survive as my soul needs to forgive. And when I sit across the table from someone who's actually hungry for forgiveness, and I hoard the grace that has been given to me, I forget my own need before God, and I starve that person out. And David talked about how God made a table for him in the presence of his enemies. And that hit me in a whole new light because for some reason in my religious upbringing, I was like, oh, he's doing it for me so I can be safe in the middle of like some horrible event. But that's not Jesus. The, the table's there to share with the enemies, it's not there for me to hoard and exploit the fact that they're on the outside and I'm sitting at the table. I'm supposed to welcome them to the table. And so what was prepared for me is actually to be shared with everyone. And if you remember the quote from the beginning, it talked about how the table was the great equalizer. I really love that because before God, we're really all the same. We're all, we all need the bread. We all need the cup. We all need the forgiveness to live. And so it's our honor and our duty before Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, to open our hand and share. And I was thinking about Zacchaeus. So he was someone who was completely ostracized from his community because of his willful choices that he had done. And he had hurt people and I was imagining him again in a new light with the, the table being open to the street. So Zacchaeus and Jesus and all these tax collectors are there. They're feasting and doing all these things. And he stands up and he realizes who he truly has been. And he's like, I'm going to make it right. And I'm just imagining crowds of people on the street like, yes, oh my gosh, I'm going to be rich. And because that was truly what it would have been like. And he went from being completely alienated to Jesus reaching out to him and bringing him close and sharing dinner with him. And that brought him to the revelation that he had things to make right. 
And so that is our opportunity every time we have dinner together, which is incredible. So if we were to, to kind of get a hold of that idea and we make space to create new traditions, maybe for the people that grew up having great traditions, but maybe God wasn't a part of it or forgiveness wasn't a part of it, they can bring that in. Maybe some of you had no traditions like me or you were the people that ate a quiet dinner with nothing ever happening. You get a chance to create new traditions where you get to apply all of this. And so every day we can remember to look at our hearts. Every week when we meet together, we can face what's going on in our hearts. And there's this really cool passage that Pastor Rach mentioned, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody would hear me, he would let me in and I would eat with him. And there's another verse that goes really well with it where it talks about how we treat our brothers and sisters is how we treat Jesus. And so if you mash the two of those together, we, when we hear the knock of somebody coming for forgiveness to our door, it's, it's tough sometimes to choose that, to let them in. But if they're hungry and they're wanting to reconnect and they're wanting to find forgiveness, we actually get the chance to do that. So this might be something that's applicable right now, but this might be something that's gonna be really applicable in the next few weeks as you come to the table with people. So what I'd love to do is just take a couple minutes and pray. And if you could imagine or just kind of let your thoughts open up to a table that you can imagine. And who would be at the table? Who wouldn't be at the table? Where would you be sitting? Who would you not be sitting with? And picture God at the head, watching over his kids, because that's really what this is. We're his family. And Jesus is actually the table set before all of us. So we're gonna, I'm gonna pray for you guys. And as you do that, just take a minute. And the beautiful thing about all of this is, is that we get the chance right now to just choose forgiveness. We get to choose that and we have that redemption that we sang about. We have the resurrection. We get to start something new today, right now. And any moment that we choose to, we can walk in that. So let's just close our eyes for a minute. Holy Spirit, we choose right now to open up our hearts and our thoughts and whatever's bubbling to the surface when we picture a table. We choose to recognize right now that we're your followers and with that comes a certain responsibility to come to the table with a holy awe of what's happening spiritually with us. So Jesus, whoever it is that we're seeing right now, that's far from us or who we don't want to let in that's been trying to make things right with us or trying to connect with us, God. We choose right now to forgive and pick up a piece of bread, which is your grace and your forgiveness and share it with them. We thank you, Jesus, that your good news is so simple. That it's right there in front of us. And we make space for you, Holy Spirit, at the table 
as the counselor and the teacher, the one that's going to show us our true reflection in the face of our brothers and sisters. And Jesus, we, we want to get this, number one, so we can love you and love our family, but also so that we can open up our own tables and our own homes to other people to show them what this grace is that we live. We thank you for what you did, Jesus, for us. There is nobody like you. We love you. We stand in awe of you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to see God in a real way. For more information about Poema Church, visit poemachurch.ca.